I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theater scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theater scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theater creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be stage-worthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me, and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating $5 a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now, on to the show. Emily Hughes is a multidisciplinary circus theater artist and creator. She joined me to talk about her show, Goodbye Esther, which premieres in Toronto from November 23rd to 26th. In this conversation, we talk about the origins of Goodbye Esther, how she feels dipping her toes into solo performing for the first time, how turning 40 during the run of her show has made her consider the youth-focused nature of circus performing, and much more. Here's our conversation. Let's start with uh, talking about Goodbye Esther. Okay. Give me the what is what is the the the, the elevator pitch? What is Goodbye Esther about? Um so the tagline that I have is a circus theater story about the end. Um and uh to flesh that out a little bit more, it's about um a woman who's at the end of her life and is uh, navigating all the complex emotions that go with that. Um and in particular, it kind of delves into her mind and what's going on in that mind. And so it's a totally imaginary take, a fantastical take on what I think might be a possibility of what we think about as we're, we're facing the end of our lives. How did, how did this come about as a, as a topic for you, as, a, as an idea? Yeah, it's it's very layered. Um, so on one hand, it sort of came from this character that I um, established quite a long time ago. Um, and, um, you know, I kind of work very intuitively through sort of clown and character, and sometimes they just give you ideas. And so that, that was part of it. And then the other part of it is, you know, I've had to deal with quite a lot of loss in my life. Um, I lost my dad when I was quite young. Um, I lost uh, all of my grandparents, which, you know, is quite normal. And then I've also lost like uh, aunts and uncles and dealt with them dying. And, and during that time, you know, I've thought a lot about mortality and, and what happens when we die and whether or not we have some choice in that, which is feels like a really big, big question and something that we can't really ever know. But 
there's there's a part of me that even since my dad died when I was 10 years old was always curious about this you know he he had a disease and um obviously he couldn't help it but there was there's like some part of me that was questioning when it comes to the end like what what is that last moment when you finally let go and and do we have some choice in that uh, and what does that look like um yeah i mean that's such a such a huge topic the whole idea not yes. just of of the end of life, but grief as a topic is, is sure. you know, somebody who is going, is passing, may grieve their lives or grieve for the people who will be left behind, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And then the people who are left behind have to contend with the fact that that person is no longer there. And all of the conflicting and many layers of emotion that, that, that go along with that. Um, what is it that, so this is something to be fascinated about, but what mm-hmm. what made you want this to be like a solo circus theater show yes good question so um i've never made a solo show before and to be quite honest i don't love working by myself like i much prefer to work in collaboration i like to be part of a collective um i don't like to be the center of attention like i like to be on stage and share stories but i like to work as part of an ensemble so it's very strange for me to be making a solo show And the impetus for that really came from the fact that I just always want to be making something and doing something. And I found through my career that often I was waiting for other people. So I would have people that I loved to work with and I... um, but, you know, other things would come up in their life or they'd have other projects or just all kinds of different reasons that I didn't always have something to work on. And I was like, if I make a solo show then I can just work on it whenever I want. And then I always have something. So that was really the impetus to begin to create a solo show at all. And as I said earlier, it came a little bit from this other character. So I had established the character of Esther through um, through another show, through a street th- theater production that I did with my company, Hersinia Arts Collective. And so she already existed And I kind of was thinking about her and how much I enjoyed being that character and embodying that character, delving into her psyche and sort of those two things married together. And and then I went down the pathway of what her story is. But yes, it's a very it's a very strange thing for me to be making a solo show as someone who like really actually doesn't love to be the center of attention inside of a story. Interesting. Because, yes. I mean, a lot of the reasons that you listed there for the reasons why somebody might do a solo show are completely valid reasons. They are exactly the kind of reasons why, you know, a lot of Fringe features a lot of a lot of solo mm-hmm. shows, especially on tour. Um, yeah. It's a, it is certainly a great way to 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 just get get shit done. You know? Yes. Um, yeah. One thing I do want to delve in as somebody who doesn't like to be the center of attention. Yes. Um, now. I know that you're an introvert. Yes. So am I. But I yes. do not mind being the center of attention. I quite enjoy it. Right. Um, so everybody, and of course, uh, I have another podcast about being an introvert. It's called The Introvert's Guide Too. And my, my co-host and I, we often talk about different flavors of introverts. Mm-hmm. Um, as, a, as an introvert who doesn't like to be the center of attention, um, how do you feel about this, 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 being, this performing a solo show 
and being the center of attention and having no choice to be but to be so. Yeah, it's very weird. It's it's very weird and very vulnerable. I think like normally like I do I like the attention of being part of an ensemble. And I shouldn't say I don't like to be the center of attention because you know um in some ways I do. Like when I'm performing a solo aerial piece, like I, I'm a circus artist and um you know, and we do sometimes corporate gigs where you do a five minute act and you just wow, bang out with the spectacle. And like, I, I really love that. Like, I feel like I feel good about that. But in a, something like this, that is an hour long and much more vulnerable, it feels like quite a lot. And it feels very weird to me to, um, yeah, to have all the focus on me. Um, and it's something that I'm, I am struggling with through the process to be like, do do I deserve all this attention? Am I good enough? Why am I doing this? All of that. And um, in this latest incarnation of the show, so I've been working on it for just over three years, and this will be the, like the public premiere, but I did a workshop showing of it last year, which was really just me. Um, and in this latest version, I've sort of started to incorporate my tech team as like minor characters in the show partially for the reason because I was like I don't really want to be alone up here like let, let's just like incorporate some other people in for some moments so that I don't feel like I'm always alone um which then in some ways is even weirder because now I feel like I'm the star of the show which I also never intended um yeah so at all I am. I'm really just navigating all of that, and it's uh, it's tricky. It's very tricky. You know, the first time that I performed, I was getting ready to do a solo show. Now it took me eight years to write that show until finally somebody said, "You should just like apply to a fringe festival, and maybe you know if you get in, you'll finally finish the show." So when we started working on it, my director was like, "Well, of course, you know, you'll be making eye contact with the audience," and I was like, "I'm going to be what now?" Because that that it hadn't. Con- it had not occurred to me that my scene partner was the audience and that I would mm-hmm. be making eye contact. And that terrified me at first. And then I really kind of just like soaked in it. You know, it was like really, really great to have. Um, but yeah, just, just, it was at first terrifying. I remember the first time I was going to perform that show, um, at the fringe, at the Hamilton fringe, I was like, I'm going to see three shows before I do my show. And I'm going to have a nice dinner before I go to do the show and everything fine. And then I woke up that day and I was like, I'm going to vomit. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. nothing that I'd wanted to do because it was just like the show. So, but after that, and I didn't expect this. I didn't expect that after I had performed the show a few times, I, w- I was like, this is something that I really like. Mm-hmm. It hadn't occurred to me that it would become a thing that I really wanted to continue doing. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, I mean, you did the workshop. Um, you did that in front of, I, I imagine, an invited audience. Yes, yes. Did you get a sense of of the perfor- of performing it and what that might be like? And, and how you might feel when it's like a full production? Yes, I did. And um, yeah, I got a variety of... Like we did three different shows, workshop performances. 
um, it was last year and it was still like very COVID-y. And so everybody was in masks and I found that quite difficult. So, I mean, I do have some history of performing clown and also it, generally in circus, we tend to break the fourth wall. So I'm quite used to like making eye contact with people and connecting in that way. And I, I do actually quite enjoy that. But I found it really difficult with everybody in masks to be able to read them in the same way. Um, so yeah, that was quite tricky. But um, yeah, I had I had sort of like a roller coaster of different uh, performances during that run. I had one that was an absolute disaster, like everything that could possibly go wrong before the show went wrong. And then I just sort of stumbled through it and got through it. And it was quite hard. Um but I think it went okay, and uh, you know, I do. I did get a rush from doing the show, and obviously, I'm doing it again, so I didn't hate it. <laughs> um, I feel like I really do want to tell this story, and I, I want to uh, learn what I'm going to learn from from doing this solo project, and I have a lot of like ideas and visions that. I want to put out into the world and see what I get back. So I, I'm excited about it from that sense. Um, now, with with all of that, you know, you're creating this solo show that is that is theater and circus and all of this sort of stuff. Do you have um, a sort of a an inspiration as far as solo performing goes, somebody who who's like, oh, that's the kind of, of solo show that I want to do. Is there somebody that stands out like that for you? You know, not really in particular. I hadn't seen a ton of solo shows um, before I started making this, uh, especially not in the sort of like circus theater realm. I've seen some like solo clown shows that have been quite great, but they don't have the same level of spectacle that I have in mind. Um, that being said, since the pandemic started, quite a few more people have started making these things. And I, I do have some amazing colleagues who have also made solo shows that um, I really admire and I think they're great shows. Um, and so I have so much respect for, for them and what they're doing. But I think that also what I'm doing is very different from what they're doing too. So I wouldn't say that I'm aspiring to create a show that's like theirs, although I would aspire to do it as well as they do. Uh, but yeah, so a, a couple of people just um, off the top of my head, Holly Tredenik, who is a uh, femme de feu in um, Welland, Ontario, and Angola Mur Murdoch of Look Up Theatre are both incredible artists who have their own solo shows. Um, and Diana Lopez so Soto is making a solo show, which I haven't seen yet, but who I'm very excited to see. But I think that all three of them have really different styles than what I'm doing. So, Yeah. Yeah, not so much that I inspired to to do a show like theirs, but but my own version of that, I yeah. guess. Yeah, no, that that makes total sense. That makes total sense. Um, if you were to describe what your style is, aside aside from like uh, a circus theater, that is, how would you describe uh, uh, the 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 how your show feels? Yeah, it, that's a, that, it, that's kind of a tricky thing. It's weird. I would say that it's definitely weird. It's fantastical. Um, I really like to establish a world. Um, it's like um, an emotional roller coaster, at least for me. I think probably for the audience as well. Um, 
you know, it's it's funny and sad and touching and hopefully beautiful. Um, there's there's just like a lot of layers going on in it. Um, but I think that like my my weirdness and my quirkiness is maybe like the biggest thing that's different about the way that I I story tell that I, I really like to like go in these um, imaginary directions and explore these fantastical worlds in both a narrative and an abstract sense at once, if that makes any sense, and sort of like find this way of working and telling stories that I think that like in some ways it creates this like really visceral way of storytelling because it's it, it does have like a, a certain amount of narrative context to it, but then also the abstraction um, really allows you to put your own layers and meaning on it. Yeah, yeah. No, I I get that. The 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 weirdness factor I think is is something that I think is often overlooked uh, in Toronto theater. Um, there are a few a few points of weirdness that you can find often at Fringe, but sometimes there are other theater companies that really sort of excel at 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 a, at a sprinkle of weird. But I find that um, the audiences really uh, really like a bit of weird. I think a lot mm-hmm. of times they're like, this is a, you know, it's another kitchen set, a living room, whatever, like very serious stuff. And weird just sort of like feels like kind of something special to for, for an audience. And so I think it's something to embrace uh, so the audience can embrace it. When you say weird, when you say your weirdness, what does that mean? I mean, I think I'm a bit quirky. Um, the character definitely is. There's like the the things that come out in the clown for sure um are kind of all over the place um i do think that like there's definitely a fantastical magical element of weirdness that i bring to to it like i'm really trying to with this show establish um a world inside of her mind that has a very particular aesthetic um and i also think that like there's like sort of weirdness like you know, for instance, one of the characters that Esther um, talks about in the show is her friend Gertrude, who's an elephant and she's in love with Gertrude. And I don't know, that's like one example of like the weirdness. And then there's this witch who comes and makes a potion, just like sort of these like fairy tale, not doesn't totally make sense in the real world, dream like kind of you can kind of go in any direction kind of thing. I feel like that's that's my weirdness. And then also my quirks. Yeah. I don't know. I think that any time that in the theater we can we can start to to get close to that, I don't know, the veil between the the this world and the the world of of, of magic, of of elves, of fairies, of that sort of stuff. I think that there's something about that that's super exciting to like yes. to to get really close to that. Um and, and and that's always I think uh again the weirdness of it uh uh it, it really sort of uh, appreciates with the uh the additional you know just like wild thing like the witch and the elephant and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. now you you've been doing circus since you were a kid yes i want to hear about how so first off how you started doing circus but also um where theater came into circus for you uh, mm-hmm. What what does that story look like? Yeah, um, so I started doing circus as a kid. Um, I went to Harbor Front Circus Camp uh, for the first time when I was eight years old, 
Um, and I just really loved it. And so I kept going back. It was just like a summer camp that I did for a couple of weeks. Um, but then because I loved it so much, I started taking class uh, just once a week recreationally for a really long time. So, you know, the same way someone would take a dance class or whatever. Um, and then in high school, I started taking it much more seriously. I kind of just was like, I love this. I'm addicted. I'm obsessed. And I started taking more and more classes. And around the same time, I started doing more theater. There's sort of a, a more of a backstory to my relationship with theater. But in high school, you know, drama class was something that really spoke to me, too. So I was doing theater and I was doing circus and then when I was thinking about university, I was like, I have no idea what I want to do. I know that I want to keep doing these things in some capacity if I can. But I also was, you know, a good academic student. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll do a general English degree or maybe I'll go into kinesiology. Um, and I applied to uh, what we now call Toronto Metropolitan University for the acting conservatory program. And I got in. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to go for this. So then, you know, I kind of went down that theater pathway, but still kept doing circus. And so for me, it's sort of always been both methods of storytelling have been very much a part of me. Um, and then on top of all of that, I feel like I'm very much a multidisciplinary artist. Like, so even as a kid, like I used to make films with our like video camera and I, you, I always like to paint and draw. And so all of those elements also come into my work. And, and that's part of why with this um, solo show, it's like more than just the performance part of it. There's, there's really this aesthetic that I'm creating um, and this time around, I'm creating a little installation that people are going to move through before they come into the space. And so that sort of like visual art sensibility is still, I, I wouldn't say that I'm a super skilled like painter or anything, but that sort of aesthetic quality and visual art sensibility is something that I think that I really bring to my work as well. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's been a very multi-layered, long journey from both directions. Um. Now, I'm going to go back because you kind of glossed over the yes. whole theater thing. Uh, yes. Now, we all have the opportunity to take an acting or theater arts in in theater, in, sorry, in high school. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's the same because when I was in theater, when I was in high school, there were a bunch of people who were like really interested in theater and a bunch of people who were like, I think it's an easy course. I'm going to take it. Um, <laughs> but were you, did you have theater stuff that you were doing before theater arts in high school or how did, what was your introduction to theater? Yeah, so a, a little bit. I'm, I mean, like I said, I did make home movies a lot as a kid. So I did a lot of like acting for my own camera with friends of mine. And we would like write scripts and then make our little TV shows and, and, and films. Um, and then I also, um, at some point in elementary school, I got this idea that I wanted to be in a show I think that they were like there was like some sort of audition happening for something I can't quite remember but I I had to miss it for some reason and I I was really upset about it and my mom was like oh well if that's something that you want to do like why don't we put you in acting classes and so I started taking um just like a, a once a week acting class for for a little while and and started you know exploring that and I really I think 
always enjoyed the like character exploration. I think that's always been a really big part of um, what I was interested in. So yeah, so there was like a little bit of a trajectory there before I got to high school. And then in high school, it was just like one of the classes that I loved the most. It, I, and I think for me, it's always been a bit about like transformation and, and figuring out who I am through getting to play these different people. Yeah. Yeah. And when you were, you were going into theater school before that, you, you, you listed off a couple of things that you could have done, but there must have been mm-hmm. something in the back of your head that was like, maybe this theater thing, cause you, you, you auditioned at least, you know, so it was yes. there. Um, yeah. at what point in your theater journey did it ever become a, a, a thing in the back of your mind that this is a thing that you could do and maybe you might want to? You know, I, I don't know when when that happened. And it's interesting because in my theater school audition, I remember they asked me to, they were like, when did you know you wanted to be an actor? And I was like, I'm actually not sure if I do want to be an actor. I just really like the possibility of not having to decide what I want to be. Like, I like that acting gives me the possibility of exploring different sides of myself because I don't actually know what I want to do. Um, and then when I found clown and we like the first time I did clown was in theater school and then I've done more training recently, I kind of discovered even more that actually that was the thing that I was looking for. I was like, oh, a clown can really be and do anything in, in a way that like, you know, as an actor, I feel like, you know, sometimes we have to play within within more of a box. But a clown is so truthful and so imaginative that you can really go anywhere and do anything. And I feel like that was the thing that I was like looking for the whole time. I think partially because I, I like never wanted to let go of childhood. Like I always loved to play. And I was really scared of becoming an adult. I was like, I don't want that. I don't want that thing. I don't want to have to like sign the thing and be an adult or I'm going to lose my childhood. And so I feel like that possibility of of being able to continue to play and imagine and be whoever is is what really called me to it. Um, I'm not sure if I totally answered your question, no, 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 but I, I think it's perfect. Yeah. I think it's perfect. The interesting thing is like that idea of play. Is I remember yeah. in theater school, uh, we had teachers who'd be like, you know, they called they called actors players back in the day because we remember how to play and we're gonna play and let's play and it's like use the idea of play a lot and then we get into rehearsal and then we didn't do a whole lot of play, mm-hmm. you know. And I I have mostly appreciated the kinds of of rehearsal processes where we did incorporate a lot of play instead of being so damn serious all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I really appreciate that too. And it's something that I try and do like when I'm working collaboratively with people as well on circus projects. I like I really try and give us time to play together because there's so much we can discover in that. And if we are too set on like getting to the next point or the next um, like making decisions about where we want to go, then we miss out on all these possibilities that can be so incredible and then the other layer of that, too, is there's just something so real. If you can create space within the structures that you eventually decide on it, to p- keep playing, there's just something so real about that. Yeah. So truthful and so tangible for an audience. 
Well, as soon as an audience gets the sense that they're being, even if you just go back to like the idea of a solo show, once an audience gets a sense that they are actually being spoken to, not mm-hmm. act to, then suddenly I feel like an audience often comes alive because they're like, oh, this person is actually talking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, which when you take it into clown, then they go further than just talking to you, like like expecting you to talk back and that sort of thing. Like mm-hmm. it, there could be some fascinating stuff that happens once you allow the, the that 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 avenue of communication to open that often doesn't happen in a lot of theater spaces outside mm-hmm. of clown and outside of maybe some solo performances. Mm-hmm. Um, now with yourself and 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 clown, I know that you 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 you've studied Pachenko clown um, and. Uh, um, I, I missed being taught by Pachenko by like I, I think two years because I was oh. went to George uh, uh, Brown Theater School and he died about a year or two before I went into theater school. Yeah. But a number of the people that I I was in in school with uh, 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 they had been trained by him and amazing they were they you know they still to this day I think glowing um, and you, I we really have I felt the the ripple of that throughout um, when you first started exploring uh, a clown. Um, what was it about? Because I think some people, I remember some people when we first started doing clowns, some people put on that red nose and then immediately started to weep as soon as they got in front of an audience because mm-hmm. something about the nose makes you feel naked no matter what you're wearing, right? Yeah. Um, for you, what is it that you remember the most about your first experience with clown? So my first experience, the first time I put on the nose, I could not stop laughing actually. And I really remember that because it was like, it was just hilarious to me. I was laughing and then the people were laughing and then it was funny that they were laughing and like, it just like, it was just so joyful, which is not to say that I'm always like a laughing, happy clown. I'm actually often quite sad, like now that I've done more with it and I'm exploring all these parts of myself. But yeah, there was like so much like just joy there. I don't know. It, it, I, I, it's hard to explain, right? And you're just like suddenly bubbling up with all this like life and magic. And I think that maybe in that moment, especially because that was in our third year of theater school and I had been in class with these people for quite a while and suddenly you're just seeing everybody in this new light and connecting in a different way. And it just, it felt very free to me. Yeah, I think I think that is that's one of the reasons why a lot of people have like really emotional reactions. First of all, uh, it's the smallest mask and something about that uh, both frees you, but also terrifies There's mm-hmm. this strange thing that happens. Um, but also I can see that 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 laughter of just like being that free uh, of, of like wearing the mask, this this nose and like just being free and feeling all of this stuff from it from. There's that moment of like when you laugh and the audience laughs, so you laugh and so they laugh and it starts to go into this (laughs) secular thing where you're just like, this is what it should be, right? This is like all of us breathing together and laughing together um, and and who knows where it will end. Maybe we'll all explode of laughter, but what a way to go, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it was super just magical. And I think like for the first time I was like, oh, I can just be here. And like whatever happens is fine and I don't have to like try to do anything in particular. It's just like just in all my weirdness and quirkiness, like that's that's what I am on stage in this context. And then go when I started doing the pachinko work, which I did like 
it, much more recently, not till 2018, did I go and do my baby clown. Um, that was like a whole other experience. So like, you know, um, the imaginative, imaginative world that that opened up for me was just so incredible. And I feel like it's it's such a tool for me now. Like, even if, if I'm creating something that's not a clown show in any way, that it gives me all of these different facets of my creativity to explore. And um, that to me has just been so magical. Like, I, I just like was like, oh, I, I have all these ideas and I can go into this sort of dream space and pick out all these interesting ideas and and um, not say no to them I think that that's the other thing it really gives you permission to be like yes yes and all of these things yeah I think that is the most valuable thing about it is is the yes you know the the like mm -hmm. the, the the being able to to just say yes to everything um I know uh that 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 the the idea of just being that you mentioned like not having to do something just just be is a pretty powerful one and and when you can do it, when you can just be, it's quite, I think it's quite fascinating uh, to watch as an audience member. And it's really fascinating mm -hmm. to sort of sit in it and just like watch someone existing and not putting on a whole bunch of things and like just just being um, and reacting to things in a, in a really instinctual and, and, and honest way. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's why um, sometimes when an animal is on stage. The audience goes, there's an animal or if there's a cat on, especially a cat. Yeah. A cat, <laughs> a cat just yeah. sits there and the cat watches what it's going to watch and occasionally its tail will move. And the audience will yeah. just be like, that cat is the most real thing. Like that cat is just being a cat. And just the being is what becomes fascinating. And it's so, I think outside of clown, it can be such a hard thing to find. Well, even inside of cloud, it can be a hard thing to find, right? Like that's what we're aiming for. That's what we're hoping for. Um, and like whether or not we are successful, you know, it depends on the day and, and the, the relationship with the audience. And yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm always successful at it, but it's what I'm what I'm going for. And hopefully I can just get out of my own way and and be there and and, and do that. Like that's yeah. I mean, that's that's a big part of what I'm definitely exploring in this show is to you know i've created sort of this structure and this story and this character but then within that seeing seeing what comes and you know it's been a a really interesting rehearsal process to be like oh today she's really sad <laughs> or like today this this relationship with the audience is particularly interesting or i'm getting this thing and how does that affect the whole show so, yeah, I feel like there's there's a, so much learning for me to do in that. That's very exciting. What what does the rehearsal process for a show like this look like? Uh, yeah, good question. So it's it's been quite long. So for this particular incarnation, I've been rehearsing um, essentially since August. Um, and it's because it's like multi-layered, right? Because there is, um, you know, a circus acts in the show so i do um aerial silks this um sort of uh aerial fabric invented apparatus that uh, i do a trapeze a handstands juggling and all of those physical elements i've had to start rehearsing months ago to get them into my body to build the endurance so that i can get them in the show all in a row and be able to layer 
all of the um, story and emotion and character on top of that. So I've been doing that sort of on my own for for many months. And then in the last few weeks, um, I had a a choreographer, a choreographic outside eye come in and, um, you know, help help work through the choreography. And then uh, in the past two weeks, I just started working with my director, uh, Calvin Peterson, to sort of like get into the whole show. Um, So yeah, it's like a really multi-layered process where it's like I have to train not just like an actor or a performer, but also like an athlete at the same time, um, which is really a lot. <laughs> it's really quite a lot. It's exhausting. I can certainly see why the the rehearsal process would have to be uh, quite a bit longer just to, to put all those things together. Um, mm-hmm. It's like when people who are doing some Shakespeare and suddenly somebody's like, all right, here's some swords. Now we're going to do the fighting. Yeah. And suddenly these people who've never, who are not like athletic are spending uh, lots of periods of time trying to figure out how to how to fight, uh, which can be very exhausting. Um, and so, but this is like even more so because it's mm-hmm. like silks and aerials. They take like the entire body, and to make yeah. it look effortless, which is always that that, thing. or to make it not look that effortless. Right. Like yeah. there's a there's a there's a part in the show that's like a slapsticky thing, and like to make that work, I have to be extra good at it. <laughs> It's like I have to be able to fail in a safe way to make it believable. It's 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 I feel like even harder than making it look easy. But the the endurance is really the the big thing because um you know within each of the acts I'm I'm used to doing a 5 minute piece and none of the skills on their own that I'm doing are like super super hard, but when you put it all together it's like you know, an hour long show uh, with four different circus acts and very physical clowning in between. And it's just like I did I did the first run through uh, last week and I was like, oh, I'm just like lying on the floor, just like I'm just going to stay here for a little while. Um, so, yeah, I hope that as I run it more and more that uh, it gets a little easier. One of the funny things that happens in, in that sort of thing when you're doing a, a solo show that you've created and you end up in a position like that, you, you you sort of end up in this spot like, who came up with this? Whose idea was yeah, this? Yeah. So this yes. is terrible. And then you realize yes. that it's, you're the one to blame. You did it to yourself. And you have to sort of just sort of uh, uh, yell at yourself privately for doing that. Yes, I am very much in that place right now. Like not even in terms of the like performance of the show, but also that like, oh, I'm doing a solo show. And for some reason, I also, um, you know, I'm self-producing it. And uh, I decided that I'm going to build the show in this warehouse. So we basically have to make a whole theater and I'm going to add this installation. Like, why? Why am I doing this? This is so much work. And then I feel like, you know, um, I mean, the self-producing thing is it's it's by necessity. You know, yeah. sometimes in order for to realize the thing, you just have to. Um, and I know that. And I also know, like, from producing enough things that when you're doing it ahead of time, it's always like, why am I doing this? Why do I do this to myself? And then afterwards, you're like, oh, that was great. Let's do it again. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, as as self-producing. Now, you know, you've produced, uh, I don't know how much you've been in the producer role 
through mm-hmm. your collective. Um, mm-hmm. But when you're producing something on your own, um, that's a steep learning curve. It is. Um, how have you navigated that particular learning curve? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I have done quite a lot of um, producing, yeah, as part of the collective, um, either on my own or or with other people. And so I do have like a fairly good um, level of experience with like scheduling and budgeting and all of that business. But one of the things that I learned early on when I started doing that is that I don't like to produce and perform at the same time because it's hard and you need two different sides of your brains to be working. Like I know right now that the best thing that I could do as a performer is to let go of expectation and just be like, I surrender to the process. But as a producer, I need to think 10 steps ahead, think about everything that can go wrong, be thinking about like all the promotion that needs to be done, thinking about like all the things I have to check off my list. And that is the total opposite side of my brain. And so it's tricky, really tricky to balance those things. And I feel like even though I know that that's not the best uh best thing to do those things at the same time I I have to and so I've I what I've tried to do to make it somewhat manageable for myself and it still feels like I'm carrying quite a lot but is to um start way in advance first of all um like I tried to like schedule as much as I could a long time ago and like check those things off my list so that I, I didn't have to think about them um and then you know, hire hire some people to help me as much as possible. And and that has lightened the load a little bit, but I will say that, you know, even even when you hire people, ultimately the responsibility comes back to you. So it still feels like you're carrying everything. Um yeah, so I don't know that there's like it that I that the learning curve has been steep. Like I think I knew all this stuff already, but I'm in the thick of it even more than I ever have been before. And I'm just sort of managing all of that weight and all the emotions that come with that and taking one step at a time and trying to breathe and, you know, being like, it's going to be fine. Yeah, no, absolutely. When I would, uh, uh, self, you know, do doing solo stuff for like Fringe, often you are in the same situation. You're your own producer. Mm-hmm. I would always front load as much as I can. You know, yeah. Before a rehearsal start, before anything starts, for like, sure. Get those promo pictures. Plan out like what your what your 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 social media promotion might look like. Everything that you could do beforehand, do it so that when so that at some point you can just be a performer when the produ- and have the producer dip in a little bit now and then, but mostly just be a performer. But it's yeah. so hard. It's so hard, and like the more even as much as you plan, right? There's always something that comes up always something unpredictable that happens. And so, I mean, that's part of why you plan so that at least you've taken care of all of those things. And so you can deal with this whatever other thing that came up. But yeah, it's it's really, it's very, very tricky to to be able to to manage all of that at once. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hope that someday I will have the luxury of having someone else produce something so that I can focus more on the performance but um until then you do what you can we all dream of such a thing (laughs) yeah yeah now during the run of your show Mm -hmm. you're turning 40 
I am. Um, how does that feel as, 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 as an inevitable part of life happening yeah. as a circus performer uh, while performing yeah. a solo show? Yeah, so it's it's a big thing for me. Like I think in the circus sector sort of at large and not necessarily in Toronto, like there are people who are older than me who are still doing um, circus and are amazing. But generally, it's a very youth-centered uh, world. And sort of there's like a, a, a feeling that after 35, you either leave altogether or you kind of go into more managerial or choreographic roles. You're not really performing anymore. And so it's like it it is a big thing for me to be like, uh, I'm still here. I can still do this. I'm figuring out what that means and what that looks like. And, and, and this show is like part of my answer to that. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm still going to do all the spectacular stuff that I did, but I'm going to put it into a more theatrical form. I'm going to combine it with my clowning. I'm going to navigate what the possibilities are of being an older circus performer and also show people that it's still possible. Like we don't have to give up performing just because we're over 35 because I think some of the the reason for that too is like because it's like a spectacle based art form and because so much of it is about you know what you can do and the tricks and younger people just have agile bodies that can do big things but as you get older you have so much more life experience to bring to that and so the layers just becomes so much richer. And I feel like, you know, when I hit 35, I was just starting to get my career cooking. And so why would I stop then? Like now I have so much more to say and I have so much more to bring to my performance. It seems very silly to be like, oh, I, I, I should stop doing this now. Is there is there from from anywhere in the circus world a, like a pressure to be like you've done enough you can stop like is there is there a pressure to stop as you get older or is it just like that's what just people do? I, yeah, I don't know if there is like a, a particular pressure. I do feel like you know in Toronto um, a lot of the the work the the regular work is sort of in the corporate sector and there's definitely or like in nightclubs and there's definitely like a youth oriented space there so like you know as you get older you're like well I just don't look like that anymore um so maybe I'm not going to get hired so nobody's saying you have to stop but you're not necessarily going to get hired for those things as much or you know you have to like mold yourself to try and fit into that aesthetic um and I think like we are just sort of starting to get the like artistic side the more theatrical, the more producing our own work, cooking in Toronto. And so, you know, I think it's great for us to be able to push that and say, we don't have to, like, that's not just for young people. Like, we don't have to stop. We can we can tell all kinds of stories and with all kinds of bodies. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned that you've done, you, you've done a, a workshop performance of, of Good mm-hmm. Lighter. Uh, last year last year yes last year year. yeah it was in um march and april 2022 i march and april because i 
got COVID in the middle of the workshop presentation and we had to take a two-week pause and reschedule the last show. So that was, it was quite an experience. Right. But I yes, can imagine. Yeah, so last year. I can imagine. <laughs> um, now, from the workshop, now when we do a workshop so that we can learn about a show, mm -hmm. um, so that an audience can tell us either through their reactions or through in the talk back, their opinions and what works for them and things like that. So we can learn how to make the show mm -hmm. better. All of that went into this particular, this, this new incarnation, this new, the final version of the show. Final. I mean, is theater ever final? <laughs> um, yeah. What did you learn from the audience in that, in those workshop performances? Yeah, I learned, I learned the things like the moments that really resonated for them. Um, I learned the like the metaphors that were clear and the metaphors that weren't clear. Um, I learned um, the moments that were funny and like where to like put more of that energy um, uh, and like whether they were with me for the story, especially because a lot of it is a bit weird and is a bit abstract to be like, are you following the story? And it was interesting because I, I did a combination of things. Um, you know, obviously I felt people's energy. Um, and then we offered people to like give written feedback. Um, and then also I sent out a survey so people could answer particular questions that I had. And one of the things I asked was like, um, well, one of the things people said to me was that like some to some of them were like, ah, I wasn't really quite sure what was happening. And but one of the, my questions would be, you know, what um, what was the story in your eyes? And they would nail it. So I was like, oh, so you do know what's happening. It's just a bit weirder than you anticipated. So you don't know if you're right. But I was like, but you're totally getting it. So that was interesting for me too to like take all of that and navigate that and be like, okay, I want it to be weird. I want to lean into that. But then sometimes people are like, oh, I'm not quite sure if I'm getting it or not. And so like trying to um, find what the balance is for that is definitely part of the mission of this last incarnation. And I think that part of what's going to help that is this um, installation that we're creating. So so we're really going to start in our world, whatever that means, in, in the physical real world. And you're going to travel through this hallway of memories and then end up inside of um, this sort of expanded, imaginary, fantastical world. And I think that's going to really help establish where we are and why these sort of dreamscape world things can exist. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it, it's fascinating. Years ago, I worked with a company called Keystone Theater, and we did plays in the style of silent film. And the way that audiences would relate when they didn't have backstory or they didn't have mm -hmm. like, dialogue in particular, um, I always found it fascinating to hear people describe what happened in the show. Like mm -hmm. them, we, we, I remember when we started our tour, we would correct people if they didn't get all of the things right. And then eventually we like stepped back. I was like, no, no, no. It's fascinating what they've filled in. Because they got yeah. all of the, like they got the story. They just didn't get some of the like specifics and their brain filled it in. And it was always fascinating to to like let them have like their their version of the story, which was different from yeah. ours. And it, like there's a certain release that came from that, which was just just amazing to 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 
to have and to give them. Yeah, I would say like for me, that's part of the magic of art, right? It's like I can have an idea and an intention of what I'm trying to tell you. But because I'm telling it in this sort of abstract, fantastical way, there's space for you to meet me from your perspective to bring your life experience, to bring whatever lens you have and to see something that's different and, you know, have a cathartic experience because of that. And I feel like like that's really how we build empathy, right? Like I I have this experience and you have this experience and we're meeting somewhere that's, you know, seeing each other through through this. And like, I, I really do believe that that is like part of the magic of art and also why like I don't want to tell people what it's about or what to think about it too much, right? I think I think letting them experience it is is part of it. There's definitely a certain amount of, of, of bravery to let people have a different idea than you of a thing mm-hmm. that you made and just be like, I'm mm-hmm. going to accept that you this your experience of this is right for you. And this is this is good enough. Uh, we don't have to agree on that, even though I, I made the thing. Um, and, and it's really freeing. Yeah. And it's also interesting navigating how people feel about that. Cause some people are like, no, 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 you have to tell me what it's, what it, what is it? I, I need to know like the thing, what the real thing, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's quite interesting to, I don't know, with so many other art forms, there's so much space to interpret it in your own way, right? Like we can have an artist statement, but then sometimes you don't read that and you just look at a picture and you're like, what am I getting out of yeah. this? And I think there's, there's especially in circus because it is spectacular and it is visceral and there is this abstraction. You're going to feel something. You're going to get something out of it. And I'm very interested in what that thing is and how I use that tool to meet you there. Uh, my my partner is an artist and she um, has found, you know, she'll publish her, her artist statement. And, you know, if the, but if the artist is there, mm-hmm. everybody wants to know the, what the artist means by the art. Mm-hmm. Right. Everybody wants to know what the artist means, which is like, and I don't know, I don't particularly know that. I mean, maybe they're just fascinated, but sometimes it's like, yeah. I think sometimes an artist wants to go, well, no, your, what you think of it is more fascinating to me. And the viewer is like, no, I want you to tell me what I should think of it, which yeah. I don't quite know where that comes from. No. Yeah, it's it's a tricky thing. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. But it's interesting. I think both are interesting. Yeah. You know, and I'm always like, I'm always super interested to hear about people's like creative process and like how they came up with their ideas. I don't necessarily need to know like, what their intention is but i think like maybe it's part of it, it's connected to that like i think there, there's we're like excavating this sort of way of 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 being and thinking that makes us an artist and i think that we're all interested in that no i think you're right i think you're right i think ultimately what people maybe are more interested in is the process rather than mm-hmm. what does it mean you know it's like if an actor is doing a show where there's like a Shakespeare, I remember like doing Shakespeare, people were like, how did you learn all those lines? You know, that yeah. sort of thing, because it's a process thing, right? How, how does, the, how does this, uh, how does the salad get made? Right? Like, yeah. how does that happen? And I think that may be the thing that people really want to know, but the only way they know how to ask it sometimes is what does it mean? Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. In circus, we often are like, wow, how do you do that? Like, I could never do that. And and the answer is always like, oh, I just practice. Yeah. I just practice a lot. Like, like anything, like playing an instrument, like learning your lines, like you practice and then you get there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, as this show, you know, it's about to open like next week. Yes. Yeah. So November 23rd is the opening. Yeah. Yes. Um, as you head towards that, you learn stuff from the the workshop that's gone into this. Um, what are you most looking forward to in this performance, in this presentation? Oh, that's such a good question. I'm just like so in the thick of everything right now that I'm not even really sure what it is that I'm looking forward to. Um I mean, so today we we just moved into the performance space and we started setting up the space and there's like a magic that comes into that. So I'm I'm really excited to see how it all comes together, um, how like this vision of this world that, you know, I've been developing over three years, all these like little details are starting to come together to create this magical world. Um, I think I'm looking forward to seeing how people experience it. Like, especially with this new installation and um, the integration of my crew sort of as as these like periphery characters, like, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how people experience it and um, what kind of reactions I get and uh, how it feels for me to get through all of it and if it's something that I want to do again. Yeah, I think, th I mean, I think that I have a lot of questions and curiosities um, and I'm on an emotional roller coaster, so it's hard to say like right now, especially like in, in the thick of it, what I'm most looking forward to. But yeah, I think just like going towards the fear and seeing what happens on the other side. Yeah. Isn't that clown though? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. A hundred percent. Go towards the fear. As, yeah. as our clown teacher used to say, you get on stage, you sit in the shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Emily, thank you so much for joining me. I really love this conversation. It's been a pleasure talking with you this evening. Thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy.